0: Hey, I'm Sam, and I'm Lizzie, and we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual.
1: Bonjour, madame. Hey, what's up? What's up, girl? I'm I'm ready to talk about this movie. Good. I I love that you just skip past the how are you question because
0: fuck that question right now i'm not doing great right now yeah. i'm doing pretty i'm 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 crying in the shower a lot
1: <laughs> it's all good good thing we have such a distraction with this podcast
0: yeah this movie also made like it's like a tearjerker
1: yeah did you cry when you were watching summer 85 no but i
0: feel like if i had watched it at another time i totally could have cried. Like
1: an evening or something? Because I know you watched it during the day.
0: Yeah, I watched it this morning with like my coffee and my breakfast. So like... That's cute. I wasn't beaten down by the day yet enough to cry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now though? By now? Yeah, I could probably oh, cry. Well, I wonder if I can make her cry this episode. So the film we're talking about is called Summer of 85, or the original French title, Eté de 85. I had to do something with this 10 years <laughs> of French education, okay? <laughs> something. So... A quick synopsis about this movie is, during summer vacation, a naive young man, Alex, falls head over heels for an older boy. After the boy's death, Alex struggles to keep the promise he made to his lover. Work. Which, when I read other um, plot, uh, what are they called? Like, Log lines? Yeah, plot, summary, synopsis. Yes. When I read other ones, particularly Amazon and IMDb does this a lot, they simplify it so much <laughs> that it's almost unrecognizable. And it's also like very positive. Like I think they, yeah. let me see what IMDb called this movie. It's funny. Yeah, they they break it down into
0: a sentence that it's the inverse of what they do with trailers where like, you could feel like you've seen the whole movie with the trailer. Yeah. It's like four words. I just lie to
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> Borderline. Uh-huh. It says, French teenager Alex's boat capsizes, and he is rescued by David, who ends up as his boyfriend. Like, that's that's it. That's scene. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's one scene early in the movie. It talks nothing about the rest of it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so, Sam, you had never seen this movie before. I hadn't either. What did you think about it? I think that...
0: Mm -hmm. Give it to me straight. I don't like this movie. I am so sorry. I I didn't make it. (laughs) Why didn't you? Like, what things did you not like about it? So I think that for as short as it was, it took a very long time. And I really think it comes down to, I feel like a picky eater sometimes, but like that one character who spoke with an accent. The British one, Yeah. Yeah, The British girl? Everything she said, I wanted to, like, I wanted to close the movie. It it bothered me so much. Her voice really pissed me off.
1: It's a British woman who speaks French, and the accent on her French is, like, to me, cringy. I am not French. I barely speak French. Yeah, you're right. It was very weird. She's like, como tali Yes. I'm I'm, like, girl! mm I couldn't. If she was really in France talking with that accent, none of those French people would be talking to her. They'd be like, get out of my face. Or speak English. Yes. I'm not trying to hear this. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was the main reason you didn't like it. I think there are more that we can touch on later. It's, it's
0: not as though I didn't enjoy myself watching it. I just think I had to be in a different place, and I just wasn't in that place today.
1: Yeah. I will admit, this film has been on my watch list for, God, probably since it came out in, like, 2020. But I've avoided watching it. For some reason, I always kind of saw the poster and, like... Watching the trailer and stuff, I just had this ominous feeling. You know, someone dies, so there's that, but I feel like it's more than that. So I really when I finally got around to doing this for the podcast, I got to analyze that a lot more. And I'm wondering if you felt kind of similarly. Yeah, it was like
0: a sinking sort of feeling, yeah. and there was that coupled with the pacing. It felt like I was just waiting the
1: whole time. I don't did you enjoy it? I did. I really like French films. I think they are so different from American films and how they tackle genre and pacing is just so unique and fresh that I always end up enjoying myself. And this one I think is really smartly written. You know, I had very few technical – I don't know if I had any, like, technical qualms with it. Like, Mm -hmm. it looked good, it sounded good, edited good. You know, really the qualms come down – for what, why I might not watch this film, like, over and over to, like, the tone of it, which is probably intentional on Mm. the director's part. So we can definitely, like, break it down and point out the scenes that maybe, like, heighten that. But let's just get into it then. Yeah, hell yeah. So this film is directed by a French director named Francois Ozon. He is incredibly prolific. He started his career in, like, the mid to early 90s and since then has basically directed like a movie a year. So he has 22 features under his belt and 12 shorts. Um, I realized before I watched this one that I'd I'd seen some of his other work. There's like a French film festival where we live and I'd seen one of his films there once and then I watched another feature and a short um, that were kind of similar to this one while I was doing research for this one. And every film he does is Different, But it definitely has his mark. Like every world he chooses is so different. Like one of the films I watched was about World War II. One was about a woman and a trans woman. And most of his films seem to have like kind of similar themes just from what a f- few things I have watched. Um, he kind of covers like death, often friendship, sexual identity, and there's often an undertone, if not just like overt queerness to his films. And Francois Ozon himself is an openly gay man and nice. has been since he started creating work in film school in the 90s. So Lee asked me earlier, like, how did you come upon this film? And I found it when I was looking at this list on Letterboxd called, If You Like Call Me By Your Name, You'll Probably <laughs> Like These. Yeah. And this one was on that list. Mm-hmm. And as I watched it, other than like, of course, it takes place in France in the 80s in summer, mm-hmm. there's a couple of other things that like rung that bell. Yeah. Not as well, but still rung it. That's what
0: also a qualm I had with it. <laughs> and I was waiting for you to say it because it feels like a diet. Call me by your name. Yes, <laughs> It's like, it's almost there. Like it's like a generic store version. It's like a Dr. Pibb where I'm like, I, I get the general vibe, but like, I'm not going to say derivative. I won't.
1: It's not derivative because this is, this film is based loosely on a book called Dance on My Grave, which is a huge fucking point of this movie that we'll definitely talk more about, but it was written in 1982 by British author Aidan Chambers. This book is pretty interesting. I didn't have time to read it, but reading stuff about it online and the plot, it's, Notably, one of the first and few young adult books that tackles a homosexual relationship without any negative connotation to the relationship. Mm. And even as late as 2004, it has been considered on banned book lists by haters, mostly (laughs) from small towns in Texas, (laughs) but haters nonetheless, so... Francois Ozon, when he was 16, actually found this book, read it, and as a young aspiring filmmaker wanted to make it into a film and in fact was one of the first uh, scripts he started working on. And he intended for this to be his feature debut, but it just it didn't work out like that. Um, So he kind of like had this idea in the back of his head for the past 30 years and you know 30 plus odd movies and finally got the chance to do it in 2020.
0: That's really interesting that it it was like something that took him so long. It I mean, it shows when you watch the film. It sounds like I don't like this movie, and I think it really is just based on the time that I watched it, because I feel like, you know, if I was in a different headspace and watched it at a different time of day, I would have really liked it. But you can tell that it's done with, like, a lot of care and consideration.
1: Yeah, the characters feel really honest, and it feels like a fantasy at times, particularly the, like, before the death scenes. They have this color and this just tone and energy to them that feel very youthful, that it seems Ozon like drew directly upon his childhood in France and his teens. And there's also some historical factors that kind of contribute to this world that we'll get into a little bit later, but that's kind of the the origin of this movie and I just want to talk a little bit about Francois Ozon the director. <clears throat> so he is considered to be a part of this film movement called Cinema du Corps, which means cinema of the body. Hmm. Essentially, the definition that I found online of this describes it as a crossover between sexual decadence, bestial violence, and troubling psychosis. Uh, it has roots in arthouse cinema and horror. So kind of think like <laughs> the American version of body horror cinema and cinema corps would be like Saw or Hostel, hmm. kind of what is considered like torture movies, though – in the, like, cross-the-pond European version of Cinema du Ducor, it's less about torture mm-hmm. and violence and more about pain huh. and how that's interpreted. And it's also it's, – it's kind of hard to describe. Basically, they want the audience to, like, squirm. They mm. want to, like, show nakedness and body and physicality in a way that kind of takes away the commercial lacquer that can be put on, like, you know, the beautiful films of more commercialized media. Mm-hmm. So – Whenever I was trying to figure out a way to describe it, that was the best way I could come up with is, like, you want to make the audience squirm a little bit. Yeah. Like, make them face
0: something. It creates this, like, presentness in your film watching because you are actively, like, straining.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It, like, draws your attention. There was one scene in particular that whenever I read this, this scene resonated With me a lot. And that was the scene after Alex capsizes and he goes to David's house, and his mother like insists that he gets in the tub and she just like strips him naked. Mm. I just remember like not even blinking, like Mm -hmm. being really shocked and being like, what? What am I watching? Like, and I, it was one of the scenes that stuck with me after to be like, why is that there? Like, why are we confronting all these feelings? But because it is semi so shocking, it brings to the forefront a lot of the themes that this movie talks about, like shame and hiding and body and growth and puberty, like all of this stuff just like heightened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that scene,
0: she... Is getting her son's friend into a bath and, like, strips his clothes off because he's soaking wet. And she pulls his trunks off. She's kneeling on the floor, so she's, like, eye level with his junk. And she pulls his trunks off. And then he has his hands over his crotch. And then she, like, puts them to the side. And at that that point, I was, like, covering myself because I was... You just don't want to be seen like that is very, very inappropriate.
1: (laughs) So inappropriate. And it definitely, when we first meet this character, the mother, we know something's off. She's just off. She's fucking Mm -hmm. weird. And then we learn her husband has recently passed. And so in my mind, in that moment, you learn a lot more about her than him. Mm -hmm. It's like she kind of treats him like a boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the rest of the film, he's like kind of coming into his sexual self it's a really interesting contrast and that was one of the first moments in the film that i was like what the fuck am i watching this is different than what i was expecting but it fit more into that looming tone than anything that i'd seen before yeah for sure were there any other scenes that made you go just like yeah at the end when he's on the
0: grave and he's having the fit and he says, like, the, f- I'm not sure how long the fit lasted, but he's like having a tantrum where he's like punching and scratching and grabbing the ground. And I remember that felt really like present for me. Like I, I can feel how that feels, like how it must be to lay flat on your stomach and punch the dirt.
1: Yeah. And even later, when he finally does dance on the grave, it's not pretty and mm-hmm. cute like you would in a discotheque. It's ravenous and like jarring. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of hint I think of this cinema du corps movement that Francois uses in his work. And I think it's really interesting. Um, so without further ado, let's jump into the plot and start. Woo! Prying it apart. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie starts with our protagonist, Alex, being led through a dark corridor by a police officer. We know he's in trouble, and we know someone is dead. Alex is 16. It's 1985. And he does this... I kind of hate voiceover, direct-to-camera montage in the very beginning of a movie. Mm -hmm. But I guess it is very reminiscent of, like, 80s and 90s coming-of-age films to be, like... This is a story about death. If you're not cool with that, this is not the story for you. Yeah, trigger warning or get the fuck out. (laughs) Like it's so self-aware. And also knowing right away that someone is dead also kind of stresses me out. Mm -hmm. But does take the pressure off too. It's like, okay, I already know someone's going to die. I can like prepare myself for that. I kind of was disappointed with that
0: because... You don't want to see gay children die in movies. I'm tired yes. of it. I'm, I know this book was written so long ago, but like, I'm genuinely tired.
1: Yeah. And then you're like wondering the whole time. You're like, am I about to see a hate crime or is it an accident? Is, mm-hmm. is I And mean, what I thought when I watched it was he murdered this kid. Mm-hmm. And they don't tell you up front what the fuck is happening. Mm-hmm. And then we also, they set up the movie to be like kind of this flip flop between present day where Alex is being investigated and we're not sure what's going on, but we know David is dead and then the past which is more colorful and that is alex and david's relationship up until his death Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna spend too much time in the present anytime we came back to like a present scene where he was being investigated i was just like oh go back to the other movie that was like call me by your name a little bit yeah that i also had like
0: i think that when that's done well it really like Serves the purpose of understanding the perspective of a person before something traumatic happens to them, and you can see how they've changed. But this film didn't really do that, it kind of only stopped the momentum of the flashbacks. So I would have been super happy with that removed, and we just see what happened that summer without any of that. Or if you're gonna do it, like do it consecutively, because I think then. It's more of a journey rather than and whatever it was. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't like that.
1: Yeah. No, and I think this was Francois trying to remain true to the books. I think the book kind of goes back and forth between these timelines, which works usually great for a book because you're reading at your own pace, but maybe it should not have been considered for the film. Who knows? Regardless, it happens. We're like treated with these really beautiful chemistry filled scenes of love and then like ugh, he's got to deal with adults, and they want him <laughs> to, like, tell the truth, and it's really jarring. Um, So it's summer vacation in Normandy. The town is, like, full of young people with lots of energy who are out of school for the summer, and we meet Alex. He's going out on a friend's sailboat, and while he's out there alone sailing, it capsizes, and this is when we get our meet-cute with David, his knight in shining swim trunks, <laughs> uh, who comes to his rescue and tows him back to shore. Meeting David, we can tell right away, this kid is way different than Alex. Alex is more of like a typical American boy-next-door, innocent guy. And I feel—how would you describe David? David looks just like Nate Jacobs from Euphoria. Yeah, but like more French. French people have fucking chins and
0: like— Yeah. Cheeks. He's flushed. He's you know, he's kissed by the sun. He's very confident. He has more experience. It's just giving me calling me by your name Vibes mm-hmm. like big time. like he's a little bit older and he's sure of himself and Alex is timid
1: and he's like, wow, this guy's so hot. Let's go dance at a discotheque. Exactly. No, right away, there's a really insane chemistry. I mean, that was one thing that really struck me and probably would be why I would go back and watch it is because I did think both of these actors, separately and together, were phenomenal.
0: Yeah, their chemistry was really good. I wish we got to see more. I mean, we got to see like a little bit of their
1: physical chemistry, but it was mm-hmm. really good. I was like, why don't we see more of this? Yeah. How old is Alex? So Alex at this time is 16 and David is 18. So two years older. Mm. So not a huge age difference, but I think with David's father having passed and just him generally having more confidence and bravado and just being like a larger boy, he definitely reads as older mm-hmm. in many more ways. Yeah. Um. So... Back to the present, which we won't come back here often, but we learn that Alex is being investigated, that he could possibly go to jail for something he's done, though we don't know what it is. And I just got to say, like, France has so much money. They're so better funded than we are that there is a whole, like, worker devoted to figuring out what he's done wrong and why so they can present it to the court better. Not like a lawyer, but like a social worker Mm -hmm. who, like, comes to his house and really cares. And I'm like... Damn, for doing almost nothing, he gets this kind of support? Yeah. It must be nice to be French, dude. Yeah, this movie
0: did give you a longing to, like, be in a different country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I feel that so much right now. So back in our beautiful pastimes, we learned that Alex, his name is actually Alexis, and he's recently shortened it. Um, we kind of get these, like, whispers of... These identity shifts and changes that he's going through, some intentional, some motivated by his lover. But this is kind of the first view we get of that. He's shortened his own name from Alexis, which is very feminine, to Alex, which is like a little bit more grown up. Yeah, like if someone's always been called Jimmy and they're
0: like, I'm John now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not Jimmy John. <laughs> Do not go by Jimmy John anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Big Jimmy John vibes. <laughs> The next scene is whenever he goes to David's house, meets his mom and has that whole uncomfortable body moment. But she says a line that I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? She says, oh, this is what we do with all of David's capsized friends, all of his friends who have capsized. And I'm like, what is what does that mean? <laughs> David's clearly a player, you know, and he's
0: just sailing around. This seems like one of his moves. And his mom totally knows he's gay. You think so? Oh, for sure. Oh,
1: I think she was like kind of ignoring it,
0: but. I think she understands that David's going to do whatever he wants and she loves him and accepts that. And I think she also understands and it's like made evident with the bathroom scene that. Alex is so unsure of himself and Mm -hmm. uncomfortable that she can intimidate him. And I think she just is comfortable doing that.
1: Well, yeah, she like belittles him and calls him like little bunny Mm -hmm. and like these like really childish words, Mm -hmm. which I don't know is like a symptom of her grief again to like treat them like children or like you're saying, like to put them under her control a little bit. but.
0: Yeah, because it appears more that Alex is her son and David is like her nephew
1: or something. Yeah, like he has his own space. Mm -hmm. She gives him a longer rope. Mm -hmm. That's so true, though. So after this, we also get to meet Alex's parents. They're a little bit older in age than I think you normally see parents Mm -hmm. in films. His mother is very, very sweet and matronly, and his dad is honestly one of the most aggravatingly relatable characters ever. He reminds me of my dad so much. (laughs) He literally just wants his son to, like, get a job and not be lazy. Mm -hmm. That is his main wish for his son. Um, (laughs) And we also meet Monsieur Lefebvre, a teacher who... So at this point, I didn't know this about French education, but whenever you turn 16 around then, you basically have the option to get a job or, like, learn a technical skill Or to, like, go back to school and take more specialized classes to prepare you for university. So, in America, you're kind of making that decision at, like, 18 or so. But in France, they really do. (laughs) Like, at 16, you're expected to know kind of what you want for your future, Mm -hmm. which is a main thing that Alex is battling with in this film. And we kind of have David, on the other hand, who was on that track of school and had to work in the shop after his father died. You know, and then like Alex is being pulled in two ways because his dad just wants him to work. His mom just wants him to be happy. His teacher thinks he should go and be a writer and all these things are kind of happening to him. Sounds stressful. Like if I, if I was 16 and picking yeah. my career, at that point, I, I don't think I was on film yet. I think I was still in the marine biologist phase. Mm. Or I was watching a lot of House and wanted to be like a diagnostic medicine <laughs> person like House. Psycho.
0: I was in the same boat as you where I could watch a movie and it could change my opinion as what I wanted to do <laughs> for the rest of
1: my life. And then I realized, I think I just like movies. Yeah. Yeah. God bless my mom to like, pull that out of me like Mm -hmm. she realized how heavily well it's because I always watched the second DVD like (laughs) and after watching the second DVD of Moulin Rouge like a thousand times she was like wow you really seem to like how movies are made what if you went to film school Yeah, what mom encourages their kid to go into liberal arts not my mom (laughs) (laughs) oh my god thanks mom Thanks. so that night the boys go on what I consider their first date they go to a movie and I I don't know if you remember this shot, but we're like in the movie theater from the POV of like the screen looking into the audience. Mm -hmm. The bottom level is totally full of people, but they're sitting at the top on the balcony alone Mm -hmm. in the center and like the projectors like shining over their heads and they're eating popcorn together. Ah, that's like the movie I want to watch. Exactly. I love that scene in that shot.
0: I was like, I'm cozy here. I want to stay yeah. here. Oh,
1: and the colors were so great. Mm-hmm. After this, though, they leave the movie theater and they come across this super drunk guy who's stumbling in the street. And they have kind of a spat about what they should do about it. David is like, oh, we got to help this guy. Like, he's going to get hurt if we don't pick him up and drag him around. And Alex is like, what? He did it to himself. Leave his ass there. hmm David ultimately wins out because he's in control of everything. And they take the drunk guy to the beach, flop him on the sand. And I thought that was like, why? That's such an interesting way to like show that these two boys are different. I think
0: it's also a way to like cleverly show that the interaction that David had with Alex at the beginning of the film wasn't exactly Mm. special to who David was. If he sees someone struggling, he's gonna help them to be their like knight in shining armor. And so he's like, hey, you wanna go to the beach? I'll take you to the beach. Yeah. And it just seems like he racks up those experiences very easily and then cashes them in later if he feels like it, you
1: know? Yeah, especially if that person he's trying to help is a cute boy that he can like brush mm-hmm. his hair. Yeah. Anyway, this guy will come back again later. Um, so the last person we meet in this cast of characters is your girl, Kate. With the ox, I I entirely hate her. (laughs) I wasn't until the end of the film that I warmed up to her. I felt like I was supposed to like her, I guess. Mm. I don't even know that, though, honestly, because Alex has kind of a negative reaction to her.
0: Yeah, it was difficult to decipher what her character was meant for because it wasn't a fully fleshed character in its own right that, I was just like, okay, is she here to move the story along because I really fucking can't stand her.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but she wasn't a villain either, you know? No. So. Yeah, she ends up being like an actually good person towards the end. But yeah, she's here. She's flirting with all the boys. She's just kind of living her au pair life. So Alex begins working with David and the little family shop they own, like a little nautical shop. And David also buys Alex a motorcycle helmet so he can ride on the back of his motorbike. I should let you speak to this because you are the (laughs) in-house expert on how mechanical transportation is a metaphor for sex between two men. Yes. But did you get that in this scene? Well, yeah,
0: for sure. (laughs) And like David doesn't wear a helmet. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, here, I'm going to make you feel safe, but I'm living on the edge of danger and you have to hold on to me. And I'm so confident.
1: It's like fucking cat and mouse. Mm -hmm. But Alex is all in, you Mm -hmm. know, David definitely just wants someone to like follow his lead. And he gets that. Yeah, David, I think, is being a
0: not I don't want to use chauvinist, but I think he's very clearly signaling I don't need this, Mm -hmm. but it's clear you need this. And I'm happy to help you along, which it's also like a metaphor for like sleeping with a man for the first time. 100%. Mm
1: -hmm. It's like Alex literally says like, this is my first time. (laughs) David's like, well, put your hands here, your legs here, hold on tight (laughs) and just lean into it. That's gay sex. You know, later on, they do eventually have sex. We don't see it, but it's clearly insinuated off screen. And I was like, oh, this is the only like sex scene we're going to get. Yeah, it's not. I mean, the French don't hold back. (laughs) Oh, my God. I said earlier that I really like French films and there's very few French films I don't like. But there is one that I actually hate.
0: Is it blue is the warmest color?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is. We have to do that soon. I could. Do we have to do it? I'll do it. I'll tear that film anew. Also, let's go. I'm ready for that. This movie is better than that. True or false?
0: I don't like either. So I can't really say.
1: At least this one's less than three hours long.
0: That is so true. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, then this one wins. Disrespectful.
1: <laughs> um, so on their second date, the next night, um, the boys go to a carnival and we get another like floaty feeling scene, like the movie theater where they're in the um, roller coaster. <laughs> so cute. and the colors of that scene also are very like rainbowy. I hate roller coasters. You do. I cannot with roller coasters. What is it? Is it the up-down? Is oh, it's it the, the lack of control. So it's all of it. Ah, uh, okay.
0: So any roller coaster. There's not, like, one. Usually people who don't Space like roller Mountain coasters. Space
1: Mountain is chill. Huh, okay. Because there's no, like, crazy amounts of control lost. It's all little... Me, 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 It's like, me. yeah, it's like, like you're in a pinball machine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you're a roller coaster person, I can I tell. I love roller coasters. A roller coaster tycoon. As long
0: as I'm not hungover, I'm <laughs> going to get on that roller coaster. It's
1: great. Oh, my God. The number one worst place to go on a hangover is like a fucking amusement park. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hell no. I'm going to Disney World with my family in like a month. and You I, are? I didn't tell you this. No. <laughs> I'm going to Disney World with 10 people. We all have matching shirts. And I said, I will only go if I can be drunk the whole time. And they were like, yeah. So now I might get to test out that hungover theory.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Go on a go on what's that one tower of terror no what's the one where it's the snowman oh
1: uh yeah everest and yes Kingdom. yes actually i did go on that one when i was in high school and i liked it yeah I like it wasn't too. too scary and it told a story you know i, ha- I need to be distracted <laughs> <laughs> i need a beginning and middle and end there's three acts and yeah. a climax uh-huh great Okay, so at this carnival, anyway, at this carnival, they run into the boy who owned the boat that Alex capsized. And he, like, comes at him and is like, "Wait, you do to my boat? That had to pay a fine. And David's like, whoa, chill, He's bro. He's Pepe Le <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's all for people to me. Just kidding. Y'all are individuals. Um, he calls da- – it's not clearly a fight about, like – them being gay but one of them does call david the f-word and then they end up in a little fist fight and they run off like laughing it's all in good fun boys fighting boys just being boys yeah just just saying the f-slur and hitting each other in the <laughs> face
0: at a carnival for children at a
1: carnival for <laughs> children anyway so um and then they go home kind of tend to each other's wounds and that night they have sex, which, if I'm not mistaken, Alex describes as one of the most beautiful nights of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice moment in the scene. Um, I actually do want to show you part of this scene.
0: Pourquoi? Pour moi? Je oui. revu, David, moi. Non. non. Promesse. C'est tout. C'est rien. C'est si que ça? Non. Mais Alors. Je... Mais je sais pas. Je
1: comprends pas. Ça sens. Sens. tout comprendre.
0: À cet instant précis, il n'y avait rien au monde que j'aurais pu lui refuser. So, uh, Lizzie just showed me a scene in which David asks Alex to promise to dance on his grave if he dies. And Alex initially really doesn't want to. Which seems weird because it's like Alex's idea to be obsessed with death, Mm -hmm. Um, but he eventually agrees and then they make out.
1: This is one of the scenes that I wanted to unpack because like this whole dance on my grave thing is such a big request and it hinges on like so much of what happens Why would you ask someone to dance on your grave? What would that symbolize to you? I'm not sure where that would come from. Because
0: I feel so like medium about this movie, it makes it hard for me to defend some of their choices. Whereas in Call Me By Your Name, they make a request like you call me by your name and I'll call you by mine. And that just seems like this visceral thing that happens in a moment where you're like in a daydreaming place with someone else Mm -hmm. that you trust so much and you can make these weird requests. But this to me seemed like maybe it was a service to the book and it just didn't come across so clearly in the Mm -hmm. film what do you think
1: uh i definitely get that like it doesn't emotionally land as hard as call me by your name though like as a standalone film like this is a pretty heavy emotional beat that i think lands as much as these two characters can make it land but you're right it's so random but it is so literal Mm -hmm. usually if someone is dying in a movie or whatever they're like hey when i die i want you to have this or you know take care of my mom which is very vague it's like what does that mean Mm -hmm. but dance my grave that's like a specific action so i guess when i was thinking about this i was Thinking about me and you, like, if I asked you, Sam, when I die, dance on my grave, why would I be asking you to do that? Yeah. And it seems something more for me than for you. Mm -hmm. And I could just only picture, like, when you're dancing on someone's grave, you're, like, stomping on their body and, like, (laughs) pushing them further into the ground. So, I don't know, like, really make sure I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) I could come up
0: with. Like, you're forcing someone to act uh, an action that he's usually in alignment with like joy and happiness, but you're forcing them to do it when they're thinking about you being dead. So it is kind of an odd request. I I really do think it must come across clearly in the book. And we're just missing some of that like internal monologue there from either of the characters. I don't know if the book is like a single perspective or third-party perspective or the perspective of David. I'm assuming
1: it's Alex perspective i'm not sure but i think you're right
0: yeah but i think i'm just missing something there to really understand where that's coming from yeah
1: well to the credit of this movie like alex is instantly confused and almost refuses to do it Mm -hmm. because he's like why i need to understand why Mm -hmm. and david's like don't understand it just why not say yes Mm -hmm. you know so if anything it does hammer home yet Another difference between these two characters and how they treat death. David's like very flippant, like, oh, you'll dance in my grave. That's a very reckless thing to do. And Alex, who takes death very seriously a la Harold and Harold and Maud, needs to know exactly why and how. And he even asks much later in the film, is it because of your father? Is that something your father asked you to do? Mm-hmm. And David kind of gets a little like misty eyed. And he's like, no, I would have loved for my father to ask me to do that. Mm-hmm. So it definitely holds some like personal weight for David. in like a really interesting way. I don't know. He's just decided that this is what he wants, and what are you to deny a, a Yeah, person what their last dying wishes.
0: Maybe it is because his father died so recently that he is confronting death as something that can be just around the corner, whereas teenagers often regard themselves as like immortals, you know, who can throw themselves off a boat and throw, you know, and do all this stuff without hurting themselves. He's like, I could die tomorrow maybe, and I want you to do this, even though we've slept together once and have hung out for a week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. French people, man. They're intense. Mm -hmm. So the third date for the boys is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah. I'll stand by that. My favorite scene in the whole movie where they go out to a discotheque and they're dancing with strobes and there's these rainbow lights, which if we've learned anything from Atomic Blonde the color of the lighting signifies mm-hmm. so rainbow lighting is gay lighting um, and while they're like dancing wildly to a club track David puts these headphones on Alex and plays a song for him and I would like to play that song for you now yay I am sailing I am sailing oh the
0: sea I am sailing stormy waters to
1: be near you to be free Huh? I love this song this song is kind of a bop who wrote this so this is Rod Stewart performing a song called sailing and in the club Alex is wearing these headphones, listening to this very like swaying, rhythmic, almost like sad, nostalgic song, while in the background, David and the entire club are like jumping and gyrating and dancing to this rainbow disco music. Do you have any thoughts on the song and the usage? I think this song was
0: a good choice. It is like a silent disco moment where he's Mm -hmm. just on his own plane of reality. I think it was
1: nice. Yeah, it it was really sad. I mean, their rhythms are totally off and there's, you know, they're still dancing together. But Francois has said as much in interviews that, like, he chose this moment to show that they're, like, out of sync. They're out of rhythm and, like, still trying to have fun anyway, Mm -hmm. which is, like, the definition of their relationship. They are truly so different. Mm -hmm. And they, like, have this special moment where all the stars align for them. But it, it... It's not going to last, you know? Yeah. See that here. Uh And then I remember you were watching this earlier. You were like, yeah, cool movie, but there's no makeover scene. (laughs) And I said, yes, there
0: is. (laughs) Yeah, Lizzie and I have been talking a lot about makeovers and it's the episode of fan service that we have coming out this month. And yeah, I was just like, haha, this movie doesn't have one. Bitch, was I wrong?
1: Every fucking movie, I guess, has a makeover scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very brief. Basically, David makes uh, Alex buy all these cute nautical clothes that he wants him to wear. But it's yet another, like, little identity shift we see in Alex. But this one's motivated by David this time, as opposed to his name. Would you say there's another makeover scene with the drag persona? Oh. oh you're yeah. right. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. This is this is just the regular boy-to-cuter-boy makeover. But We do get a boy-to-girl makeover. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. So, yeah, after this scene... With Sailing by Rod Stewart, we could get the beginning of the end, and that is directly hinged upon Kate bumping into the two boys on the beach the next day. David is kind of spitting with her and invites her onto the boat together with Alex. And it's insinuated that David goes home with Kate and that they have sex. And it's a really shitty scene, like you're definitely relating more to, I, I was definitely relating more to Alex in this moment. And it was also like the anger he feels in the subsequent scenes was really serving me like if I were a girl, this would be much easier if I was only a girl, which is like a really sad queer perspective and a lot of confusion and like disconnect between what he wants from David and their lack of communication about what the reality of the relationship is. And you kind of get mad at Kate for even though she's not intentionally doing anything, she has no idea. Like she still is kind of the thing that rips them apart. Yeah, you're so aligned with Alec's perspective that you begin to hate
0: Kate just for existing, which it's not her fault. I hated her long before this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think that, Yeah. You see this a lot with coming of age queer characters where you can feel that they just want it to be easy and they're just struggling with how hard it is. And like you're saying, it's not Kate's fault. And in Call Me By Your Name, it's not either of the women that they like use as like conquests to understand themselves. It's none of those women's fault either. It's all about the main characters. And it's really David who's being shitty. But I think that You're just so anchored in Alex's perspective that it makes you hate Kate even more.
1: Yeah, totally. I definitely felt that way when I watched this. And he definitely does, too. (laughs) Um, But the next day, Alex confronts David about this. And they just have an awful argument. Just them letting out these like resentments that have built up. And all the things that they haven't said to each other. And how David kind of sums it up, the problems in their relationship. He says... I'm bored with you, Alex. Like I won't be owned. I am not your. I'm not your number one. Like we've had fun. and We can continue to have fun, but you're never going to be enough for me. Basically,
0: which like, oh. But us as audience members who have advanced past our first relationship can see it pretty clearly yeah. that this isn't anything new to David, and it's clear that he does this all the time. And he's not wrong for being this honest with Alex, but Alex is just so naive that he he believes he's been wronged so deeply because it is his first love. So I think this is how hard you have to take it when you learn that this could
1: happen. The first cut is the deepest Rod Stewart. God damn it, Rod Stewart. (laughs) Wait, does he sing that song? Yeah. You're kidding me. No, it's his song. The first cut is the deepest. Baby,
0: I know the first cut. Come
1: to be lucky she's cursed. when it to loving me she's worse um but yeah so he's hurt he's cut no one is technically in the wrong it just sucks to not be in line with your first love and so Alex storms out he bikes home and cries himself to sleep and Unfortunately, when he awakens, he sees on the TV news that there's been a motorcycle accident and he sees that the bike in the footage is David's. So he runs to David's house and confirms with David's mother that her son is in fact dead. And she very unfairly blames Alex for David's death because apparently David was going after him. Whenever he got into his accident as a mother, make sure your child wears a helmet or just don't let them have a motorcycle. Yeah, no. I mean, everything that she perceives David doing wrong is Alex's fault. So that's very unfair. But
0: can you imagine how devastated she must be? her her <sighs> husband then her son? Yeah.
1: I mean, if anything, credit to Alex for not, like, lashing out at her for whatever reason. He doesn't, even though she's very unwrongly putting her grief on him. I think he must feel guilty as well. I I would. Oh, my God, dude. Absolutely. Especially at that age. Like, as far as we know, this is the first death he's encountered in his life. And, oh, that is just so sudden and weird. And he, like, quickly cycles through many stages of grief after this and kind of just ends up laying face down on his bed in his room where we get like the Dr. Pibb light version of that beautiful scene at the end of Call Me By Your Name where Michael Stuhlbarg comforts Elio after he's gotten his heart broken by Oliver but we get fucking Alex's dad coming in the room sitting on his bed and was like what happened oh your friend died well you didn't know him that long anyway you should go back to work so you don't let his mom down it's like, shut the fuck up, <laughs> fucking dad. Just don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Just be quiet. <laughs> Let the mom go in there. She's so sweet. Yeah. <sighs> so Alex is on the beach and Kate comes up to him crying. And this is kind of the moment where in the film I started feeling better about Kate because Alex spills his guts to her about, like, he just tells her everything about him and David. And she immediately understands that like oh y'all had a relationship together as well and she even apologized she says I'm so sorry I didn't know so I'm like okay well I, that's what I would want to hear if I was him yeah so David's mom refuses to let Alex see the body which I don't know if I'd want to see the body of my dead lover anyway but- it is strange I don't
0: understand his I mean he he has an obsession with death that is not backed up with any mm-hmm. reason or context and it seems like a plot device just so that these scenes can have some sort of understanding. But like, I don't understand why you'd want to see the body of someone who was killed on a motorcycle. It's not going to look good. And even the body we do see, I'm like, he didn't die on a motorcycle. That's what I'm saying. That's a pretty body. Mm -hmm. How did he die? His heart stopped? Like, his face? (laughs) He had COVID.
1: (laughs) And he died on that motorcycle. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, I've read some reviews that they call Alex an unreliable narrator. And I can definitely see that. With how sugar-coated everything in the past is portrayed, it's like perfection, you know? Every color is just the perfect hue, you know? So maybe even the body at the morgue, we're seeing it through his eyes, and it's less gruesome than it actually is. Who knows? Yeah, that makes sense, and I think that's not, like, a
0: accurate criticism Because this is from his perspective. This is his first love. Like, when I think of my first love, I'm like, I loved her so much and I was perfect and she was so bad or whatever. But she was just like another teenager figuring out her life. You know, so it is colored by his perspective.
1: Every person's an unreliable narrative. Mm -hmm. So Kate comes up with a plan to sneak him into the morgue. (laughs) This is the most... French people are insane. To sneak (laughs) him into the morgue dressed as a woman... Because she doesn't think the mortician would think it'd be cool to show his body to his lover if he was a boy. And I'm like, why didn't you just tell him I was his friend? But okay. (laughs) Um, Teenagers. I'm going to do this the next time you need anything done. I'll be like,
0: let's get you in drag. I think that'll solve all of this.
1: (laughs) <laughs> not make it more complicated. Um, this is where we get our second makeover. She puts him in this little dress and uh, what are those things called? We put them on your legs. Stockings mm. and a wig, which who just has a wig lying around? Whatever, dude. <laughs> I'm not poking Fucking holes in French Fucking has like 1,700 blonde wigs That's in true. Greece
0: and she's not even blonde, so.
1: Yeah, you're right. Kate, Kate likes to have long hair every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think about this scene? Just like from top to bottom, like from... Makeover to reveal. I think that
0: Alex looks beautiful in drag. I, I liked it. It seemed just out of place because this film isn't fun. So I was like, why throw this in right after someone dies? But okay. <laughs> what did you think?
1: I also enjoyed it. I I don't know. It, it was, Like I said, it was the most ridiculous option to make the goal a reality, but it does work. So decades credit, I guess it is a good idea. But like whenever they do get into the morgue room and the mortician like rolls the body out, unblemished the body, just so you know. How did he die? He wasn't wearing a helmet. His hands should his, have been...
0: His whole body is perfectly intact, not yeah. a pore not out of place.
1: eyelash.
0: And the only thing upset. you don't see is from like his hips to his calves Mm -hmm.
1: so it's like did his dick fall off (laughs) and he just died yeah he just bled out through his dick (laughs) yeah all the yeah it it makes no sense it would would also makes slightly more sense but still not a lot of sense is like something overcomes alex and he leaps on top of the body and like embraces it Mm. and everyone's like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) his wig falls off he runs away it's this whole like cinema of the body confrontation with death and identity and uncomfortable squeamishness that just it just turns up the volume on everything that everyone's feeling mm-hmm. in that room, including the mortician. If I was him, I'd be like, what the fucking ass shit is happening right now? I'd get home from work being like, babe, <laughs> I've got a story to tell you. <laughs> these kids these days. fucking yeah. So I'm just going to kind of speed through. The rest of the movie, because it's just kind of like sadness and heartbreak. But later, Alex goes to David's grave and kind of has another one of these fits that you mentioned earlier. He's like scratching and clawing and beating at the grave. And he goes back another night and eventually does successfully manage to dance on the grave to the song we heard earlier, Sailing by Rod Stewart. Um, But he gets arrested by two police officers do you think you'd get arrested in the U.S. for doing that? In our city, drunk people
0: <laughs> dance everywhere. I don't actually, They don't have a specific place they can't do that.
1: And the graves are, like, covered in cement, so it's all good. Yeah. You. Yeah. I encourage you. France
0: just doesn't seem like this sort of police state that's locking up teenagers. It, no. But it's it's whatever. I have so many other qualms with this film.
1: Yeah. Well, I, we realized, like, this is the thing that he was being investigated for the whole time. I thought... Maybe they thought he killed him, really. like, But Mm -hmm. we come to find out, no, he just got in trouble for dancing on the grave and he had to go to court and they had to hire a public defender to defend him. Girl, let's go to France. We would (laughs) never go to jail for nothing. No. I thought that he was going to serve
0: community service for the destruction he did on David's mom's shop. Because in their final argument before David dies, Alex throws a rock at a mirror and then breaks everything in the shop. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was more harm than just skipping around on someone's grave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm dancing. I guess not. It, it, you know, whatever. Just be careful what crimes you do in France, I guess. You might have to like clean up stuff on the beach after school for a month. Like not a punishment at all. But whatever. So that's how the movie ends, basically. He's, like, on cleanup duty on the beach, and he runs into, get this, the fucking drunk guy from earlier mm-hmm. who's got a haircut, he's sober, and he's like, hey, man, I helped take care of you once when you're drunk. You want to go out on my boat? And the drunk guy's like, yeah. And they ride off into the sunset. But Sure. Sure. He has, like, a closing line. Basically, he's like, the only thing that matters moving forward in life is to somehow escape your story like escape everything that's happened to you. I don't know. So many bits of this movie are just so different from how I would have handled it. They've stuck in my head and that was one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that initially when I saw that guy and I saw Alex and him go on this boat, I was like, oh, he's learning to be more like David. You know, he's taking this relic of the good deed that David did and he's kind of absorbing that. And just rolling into his next chapter of life, being a more confident person. And and then that final line, I was like, okay, I just kind of undid all the closure I thought I just got.
1: Right. It was a weird line to include.
0: Yeah. I think my main issue with this film is not the story. It's, I think, the editing. Mm-hmm. There is so much... Talking And the pacing is so incredibly slow, even with just cameras, just swap a camera and move it around so it feels like there's movement in their discussion. Whereas like the conversations are slow as molasses and the scenes take forever. I mean, you just broke down maybe like six or seven scenes that were the whole film, but it took them a millennium to get there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it is a good story. I think if it was just tweaked a little bit, it could have felt more satisfying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that can be the trouble whenever you're doing a novel to film adaptation is you want to remain so true to the original work. You're putting in like all this extra stuff that maybe could have been left out or shortened. You're right. There's a lot of scenes in this movie and they're, they're so full of dialogue. It's a lot to get through. So yeah, we're left with this like bittersweet, mostly bitter taste in our mouths. And you kind of get the sense like Alex's troubles are just beginning and I wanted to take a moment to address that looming feeling because the more I looked into like when the story was set and when Ozon found the story it kind of helped illuminate why I was feeling so stressed out about it mm-hmm. so the book was written in 1982 Francois founded in 1984 the film is set in 1985 and that same year in the same month Rock Hudson went public about his AIDS diagnosis and eventually died in October of that year. So a month after this movie takes place. And this is kind of like the first really public figure that went through this battle with AIDS and lost. And this is like the moment that the global AIDS crisis is happening. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of fear being infused to the gay community. And a lot of denial happening among the general hetero world. Francois like describes this time, the time that we see even in Call Me By Your Name and in this film of the kind of early to mid 80s as the last period of paradise before horror, you know, like if this is in fact Alex's first step in his queer journey, sadly this is not gonna be the first person that he loses. So, Whenever I matched the history of AIDS to this story, I was like, ah, mm-hmm. I'm used to seeing queer stories like me as a viewer, personally seeing queer stories about this time frame, like having that as part of the narrative. And then t- coupled with the death of a queer character, I was like, something's not right here. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, that's that's why. Yeah. It's like missing, but it's not, you know, like, yeah. we know, that's the next scene in Alex's life.
0: Yeah, I think queer characters you know, relationships that are portrayed in reality that aren't like fantastical other planets all have context in history. And just because we are oppressed by different factors every day, whether it's the state, whether it's our family, whether it's our culture, whether it's our country, you know, there's so many different factors that play into how we perceive each other and how afraid we are at any one point in time that the context is really valuable. And it does make sense that this feels so somber, but they don't even have the words for it yet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like there's nothing to ground them in that. So, you know, the movie's over now. Yay! <laughs>
0: Sorry.
1: Did you have any final thoughts before we do the thing where we score it? No,
0: no. I th- I think I've said my my piece. I look forward to revisiting this when I feel like more in this vibe. But I, I also am afraid that when I do want this vibe, I'll just watch Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> anyway.
1: Yeah, well, whenever you don't want to wear out Call Me By Your Name, no, you can like just skip the present day scenes of this movie and get a lot of the same feelings. Copy that. Okay, let's score this strop. So how we score the strops is we each give a score on a scale of 1 to 10 of how gay the movie is and how good the movie is. And then we get a, uh, what's it called? Average. An mm-hmm. average number mm-hmm. from that, and that's the subtextual score. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> so, Sam, on a scale of one to ten, how good is this movie?
0: Four is the highest I can do. Okay.
1: I'll see your four, and I will raise you a five and a half. Sam, how gay is this movie on a scale of one to 10? Ten. Ten. Yeah, that's a 10. <laughs> <laughs> Riveting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, how French is this movie on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh,
0: this film has an overall score of 7.38. Cool. Cool.
1: All right. Bye, everyone. (laughs)
0: Just kidding. Uh, Our work here is done. I've made Lizzie promise to let me do the next foreign language film. So she'll get to do an English one soon. She's holding it hostage. It's
1: not my fault. They're just so good.
0: I do secretly just want her to pick a movie that I can, like, look away from for two seconds. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The subtitles are, like have to really look at them
1: <laughs> god this one was really really dense oh, they talk so much but hey i took fucking 10 years of french in school and i was like i know that word <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> do you speak french like how kate speaks french
1: oh girl my accent is probably atrocious <laughs> especially since the first time i heard french it was like fucking deep south french which is yeah yeah <sighs> She speaks
0: French like an American would speak French, like Como Talevoo, y'all.
1: <laughs> hey, y'all. How's it going? you my pale Lizzie. Hey, Tay to Sank. I was talking about Kate, but if that's how you speak too, oh. then that's a little. That's awesome. Oh, she does have that one cute moment where she says something in English, and (laughs) Alex is like, I have no idea what she just said. (laughs) She says, what good is a friend if they can't get you into a morgue? (laughs) He's like, I don't know what that means. Thanks for listening to our podcast this week. If you'd like more bonus content, you can find us on patreon.com slash subtextual pod. We'll see you next week for another riveting episode of Subtextual.